0: When you think of political campaign strategies, what comes to mind? Maybe stump speeches, collecting endorsements, putting out TV commercials slamming opponents. Regardless, what probably doesn't come to mind is big data. In today's social media-driven world, we're putting a lot of information about ourselves on the internet. And increasingly, political campaigns are taking advantage of all that information in some surprising ways. I'm Katie Meyer, and on this episode of Fordham Conversations, I'm talking to NPR political reporter Scott Detrow, who's been covering the tech beat at NPR for months now. Scott's also a Fordham alum and a former WFUV reporter. So uh, I would say this campaign's been pretty unique for many reasons, but would you say technology is, uh, has played a bigger role maybe in this uh, election season than in previous years? Yeah, I
1: think so. I mean, um, Facebook and Twitter have played a role in, in two—this this is the third presidential race they've played a role in. But uh, what you're seeing in 2016 is that campaigns view social media as kind of the first line of communications. You know, before it was something that was kind of a, a segmented side part of the campaign, but now it's, okay, we're making a big announcement how do we incorporate Twitter into this? Uh, Hillary Clinton's giving a big speech. Let's make sure we're tweeting out the key lines of it as it happens. Let's make sure we're you know, streaming a Facebook video of it. And it's it's kind of something that every campaign is thinking about first, as opposed to something that they also have to do.
0: And so, I mean, you mentioned a couple specific technologies people are using. Um, and I know you've done a lot of articles on you know, like how people are using Twitter, how people are using social media generally. So uh, what are some of the interesting things that you've seen happening with these tools that campaigns are using now?
1: I think uh, the most interesting trend, and you see it across a whole bunch of different platforms inside social media and out, is the ability to, to, to kind of micro-target, to find a very small, specific group of people, whether that's by a uh, geographic area, um, whether that's by uh, the types of people you want to, to approach, And you can really do a targeted message directed just as that group of people and change it from group to group. So one example of that is both Twitter and Facebook allow campaigns to purchase kind of very specific directional messages. Uh, An extreme example of that is that uh, Rand Paul's presidential campaign during the early Republican debates, they would uh, send tweets out that specifically went to the reporters they knew were covering the debate so that they could try to start the spin process as the debate was happening on Twitter to this group of reporters. Um, you, you've seen other examples as well, but but that kind of always stuck out to me. as particularly interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so now with this influx of new things, like this data that people now have access to, are any of the older campaign methods sort of fallen by the wayside? Like TV ads, did they have as much sway as they once did?
1: That's something that... Um lots of people have thought a lot of deep thoughts about, and I don't think we'll have a good answer on that until the end of the cycle, because the fact is, uh, what do campaigns spend the most money on? It's still going to be TV ads. It's going to be TV ads for a very long period of time. But you had a situation this year where um, the amount of money spent on TV ads on the Republican side was almost inversely proportional to how the candidates finished. And Donald Trump, who uh, up till this point has basically dominated the Republican primary, spent hardly anything on advertising. He didn't even go on the air in New Hampshire and Iowa until a couple of weeks beforehand. And Jeb Bush, on the other hand, uh, both his campaign and the PACs affiliated with it, spent far and away the most money, and Jeb Bush did terribly. So a lot of people were thinking about that. That's, that's kind of a, it's hard to tell because one dynamic was Trump was also on TV all the time, just in on cable news, getting coverage. So, you know, does that mean TV ads don't work? Unclear. But the fact is, a lot of campaigns do think a lot more about doing specific targeted ads. And and that's something you see on Facebook as well. You know, like we're only going to uh, message people who uh, are members or like church groups in Iowa in this half of the state. And we're going to talk to them about religious issues that we know they care about. But on the other half of the state, we're going to talk about something different with a completely different group of people.
0: So Donald Trump has had, a, I think, an interesting media strategy, and it's been a very cheap media strategy for him as well. Um, do you think part of his success might be that he's made himself very available to voters? Like, I mean, he'll call into a TV station just like out of the blue, and he'll say what's on his mind, and he has no one writing things for him. Uh, do you think that plays into it, maybe?
1: I think so, and, and you look at how he uh, uses different types of media, and in basically the main platform that Donald Trump has for communicating with voters and communicating with reporters is his Twitter feed. Um, He had a quote somewhere with, I forget where, but he said something like, having a Twitter feed is like owning the New York Times, but without the losses. Um, And and it's true, he can dominate the media cycle just by tweeting. And then it's it's a very condensed message. Uh, Everybody's going to just embed the tweet or quote it verbatim. So the exact message he wants to get out is going to get out there without the typical media filter of, you know, if he gave a speech, we'd only use snippets of the speech. But it's a tweet. It's 140 characters. Everybody's going to use the tweet. He knows everybody's going to use the tweet. So that's been, I think, a really innovative thing that he's done. And and this has had less of an impact, but it's just been entertaining that Donald Trump has kind of invented the uh, the Instagram political ad. I mean, most people think of Instagram as kind of this, like, happy place where you do your show off photos but there's been like five or six times where Donald Trump has uh posted like an attack ad on Instagram whether it's making fun of Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush that's just been really effective and again kind of leads the cable news for the next few hours and and he gets his message out that way
0: and so now with these i guess you'd call them like new media platforms that candidates are taking to um i think with that comes a lot of data right you get a lot of raw data from these ads and from these platforms. Um, so how do how do campaigns use this?
1: Um, I mean, they're swimming in, in analytics. I think, yeah, there's a lot of indirect data coming in, and there's a lot of direct data coming in as well. I think one example of that is, uh, like Ted Cruz's campaign created this app that uh, it, it wanted Cruz supporters to use and kind of um, send messages out through and kind of use as their main interaction with the campaign. And one thing that the Cruz app would ask uh, supporters to do is let it access their phone contacts. So what it's doing there is it's going through everybody in your phone, and it takes that data and it matches it up with voter list information. So um, you know, is somebody who you have in your phone contact a registered voter in a state that they care about? If that's the case, they might send you a note saying, hey, can you send this to your friend Joe and um, you know, send, let him know, Here, here's this piece of Ted Cruz information, or let him know there's a rally next week. Um, that that's pretty innovative. There's uh, there's limits to that because like I don't have in my phone the first and last full name, legal name of a lot of people. You know, like I have mom in my phone, so I'm not sure how much uh, information they get from mom. But this is something that they tried to do, and and they're 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 trying to create or they're trying to tap into social networks, real life social networks that already exist, so that that they know, you know, this person lives in a congressional district we think is important, and we figured out from the vast amount of information we have about them already that's just available through legal public records, like their name and their address and their race and their party registration and how often they vote. And they're trying to like layer that on top of, you know, their Facebook life or their Twitter life or who's in whose phone contacts.
0: Um, And so then how specific can it get, you know, like if I was maybe a Republican voter and Ted Cruz was trying to get my vote, you know, what would he be sending to me?
1: Um, Well, the Ted Cruz campaign this year has wanted to figure out what your personality is like, and that makes a difference in what they send to you. They uh, have paid millions of dollars to a firm called Cambridge Analytica that is trying to map a behavior type of every voter in the country. And what they do is they, uh, they have focus groups, large online focus groups of thousands of people. And they have them fill out behavior quizzes. And they also figure out the, the identities of these people. And they create statistical models. So if you're a, a white woman in her early 30s who lives in suburban New York and, you know, likes certain groups on Facebook, they can say, okay, we can match you up with this personality type. And uh, the campaign showed me how the message to South Carolina voters changed from personality type to personality type. So it would be the same issue. They, they, they sent out mailers about uh, the possible closure of a big South Carolina military base. But if they thought you were one type of personality type, they, they sent a message saying this could really hurt the local economy. But another type they thought would be more interested in kind of like the, the symbolic message of this. They said, look, Barack Obama and Democrats want to make America weak. And because of that, they want to close this military base. So that's the granular level that they're tweaking things. I think there's a lot of um, criticism of, of how much of this information you need. One good example is uh, I, I talked to a Yale political scientist, and he said, you know, one thing we know is that if you own a boat, you're more likely to vote Republican. Like That's great. But if we know you own a boat, we already know, you know, your age and where you live and your race and your party registration. So if we already know you're a Re- Republican, we don't need to guess that you're a Republican because you own a boat like it's really a basic level of information that, that you need to determine where people are likely to vote.
0: And so, I mean, not the campaigns, you know, so readily can get this information, are they campaigning more to specific demographics? Like, for instance, I'm guessing like, even on just the Democratic side, I think the Hillary Clinton voter and the Bernie Sanders voter look, you know, significantly different. And on the Republican side, the John Kasich voter might look pretty different from the Donald Trump voter. Is that affecting how people, how these candidates are getting their message out?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I mean the idea of of marshaling certain groups of voters to co vote for you is very old. That that's not that new, and and some sort of voter modeling and targeted uh, demographics has been around for a long time. The example everybody points to is is magazine subscriptions, uh, you know, going back to the nineteen fifties and sixties. Campaigns were trying to figure out what magazines each voter subscribed to, so that they could target things that way. You know, like a New Yorker. Subscriber is probably different than a field and stream subscriber, um, but yeah, like you've seen, for example, uh, the the exit polls show age is probably the biggest determiner on the Democratic race. If you're if you're you know in your 30s, you're younger. There's a good chance you're voting for Bernie Sanders. If you're older, there's a good chance you're voting for Hillary Clinton. And you've seen campaigns kind of play to that and 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 push their messages in the places that that these types of voters you know, consume their information and also uh, the types of messages they send to these different voters.
0: Gotcha. And yeah, so we, I mean, we talk a lot about age, you know, especially the millennial generation on this podcast. Um, And you can't really talk about that without talking about Bernie Sanders. And would you say that, like, you know, the media landscape, has that affected this whole Bernie phenomenon? You know, like, would Bernie Sanders be as big as he is without Twitter or without... Facebook or Instagram, is that spreading this message?
1: Um, I think in one specific area it is. In terms of messaging and uh, the way that campaigns are reaching voters, I think the Clinton campaign is incredibly sophisticated and has spent a ton of money doing this. And what they did was they basically sucked up all the people who ran Barack Obama's two campaigns and beat them in 2008 and have uh, brought them onto their staff. And, And they're really smart about messaging. Uh, One example of that is uh, on Snapchat. Every campaign is basically on Snapchat, but a lot of campaigns have just kind of used it as behind the scenes. You know, look, I'm about to do an interview. Here, we're in the car. But the Clinton campaign, more than other campaigns, has really used it to tell stories. Like they'll they'll take snippets of a speech that she did and kind of condense it down that way. Or they'll talk about uh, specific messaging, like they'll critique uh, the Republicans running and things like that. And I think they're smart about that. What Bernie Sanders does very well online, and what has propelled Bernie Sanders to where he is, is just the boatloads of money he's able to raise online. You know, uh, he—I don't have the percentage off the top of my head—but the vast majority of money that Bernie Sanders is bringing in is coming from small online donations, and that allows him to to outraise and outspend Clinton at this point because the the donations he's bringing in; these are not people who've you know, spent $2,700 and can't give any more money. They can donate again and again and again because it's small amounts they're doing online.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, And this might be uh, kind of a weird question, but I think I've talked to a couple people about different uh, politicians' media presence, and Hillary Clinton's Snapchat actually came up a couple times, and a lot of people were saying that she seems more out of touch than she would otherwise because she's trying to use Snapchat. Um, and I think that maybe stems from, like, you know, it kind of sounds weird to hear Hillary Clinton say the word "chillin," And, like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And she's trying to connect with the kids. And people, are, honestly, are making fun of her because it seems very forced. Uh, do you think that hurts her <laughs> among younger voters?
1: Um, Snapchat is the first uh, platform that has made me feel old and out of touch myself. So I don't know how much I can comment on that. Because um, I just thought she was doing well on Snapchat. Uh, but, I mean, that... I don't think that's particularly new to the current media age. I think I think politicians try to pander and position themselves, uh, no matter what, like the new way to reach young voters is. Like you had Bill Clinton playing a saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show in nineteen ninety two. Like, was that kind of awkward? Like, yeah, that was that was kind of awkward. Or you know, like. Uh, I think it made headlines when when Obama went on Ellen in 2008. That seemed like kind of a weird place for a presidential candidate to go. But now, like, that's par for the course. Everybody does that. And, um, I mean, I've just come to expect when a big speech is going on, I'll have, like, my tweet deck open, be looking at the campaign Twitter feeds, because every campaign rolls out, like, tweets alongside the speech now. That's just something that, that you, you're assumed to do. Um... I think one thing that she does, interestingly, is the way that she uses text messages, which text messages are not that new. They've been around for a long time in you know the scheme of, of digital technology. But the campaign has kind of used them to have ongoing conversations in a way that previous elections were just like blasted text messages. Like, hey, polls are open whenever. Please show up to vote. Or like, have you thought about giving us money? But they'll like, and again, this is kind of like, sometimes trying too hard, but they'll like send out memes and they'll, they'll have these like fake conversations during a debate like, hey, it's so-and-so with the Clinton campaign. Are you watching the debate? If so, let me know and we'll talk about it. And then they send you the, it's like this choose your own adventure through the text messages, which like in one hand is, is clearly kind of insincere, but the other hand, I think is an interesting level of engagement. And while the campaign will not tell us specifically what they do with this data, I'm pretty sure they take notice of who responds and who engages them, and think of those people, okay, maybe this is a more likely voter, and maybe this is a more engaged supporter, let's uh, let's try and get them to give us some money, or let's try and get them to volunteer.
0: Right. And so now you mentioned data again, and I can't help but think that it's this massive amount of data that we now have, um, like all of us have this data footprint online, and I think you mentioned in your uh, your Ted Cruz report that you did that there are companies that are specifically you know, helping politicians and the other corporations use that data. So, like, how does that work? How do they, like, where do they pull it from, you know? Like, what what do we have online that's making campaigns able to, like, know us better?
1: Um, basically everything we do at this point. Um, there are a lot of companies that observe what sites we visit in our web browsers, and uh, they always make a point that they, they kind of use this data in bulk and they, they make it anonymous, but they, uh, they'll put, you know, kind of crawlers on and track web activity. Um, for years, campaigns and big companies that, that do this have been able to buy, you know, credit card reports. So what do we purchase? Where do we go? Where do we spend our free time? What sort of things do we read? What sort of movies do we go to see? And, and on the basic level, there's a lot of information about you that, that the government owns that it sells, or it uh, lets people acquire through right to know uh, requests. You know, your full name, where you live, how often you vote, what party you're registered to, if you uh, have various licenses from the state to you know to fish or to hunt or to own a boat. Um, so these are things that, that big companies are consistently purchasing from government, purchasing from credit card companies, and just compiling tons and tons of information about us. Which is kind of weird when you think about it, but honestly, there's no way to avoid it except for just not going on the internet. Like, that, that's really how it is. I mean, Facebook keeps track of every single thing that you do, every single picture you look at, and they're already marketing that information to, to companies who want to sell you ads. And in a way, the the political campaigns who do this are already a few steps behind uh, commercial companies who have been doing this for years.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I can't help but think, but that's like, that's kind of a game changer in my mind. Um, Do you think this is going to have a notable impact on presidential elections, any elections in the future? Like, is this going to change how we can kind of predict who's going to win or, you know, what's going to happen?
1: One thing that uh, I think it's hard to draw any clear lines, but in a couple states, what's been interesting is that if you look at the, the Google search traffic in the days or hours before an election, it's almost functioned as an exit poll. I think uh, New Hampshire and Iowa were good examples of this, where you saw, you saw Donald Trump start to dip, and you saw Marco Rubio start to go up. And New Hampshire, you saw John Kasich's searches go through the roof, and then he comes in in a surprise second-place finish. So just kind of looking at mass scale, what are voters in these states searching and, and, and looking up online as they make up their mind That's been a real key and and given a lot of interesting information about what you can expect that night. Um, I think you're going to see more and more targeted political advertising. I think you're still going to see the big TV ads and the kind of massive blasts out. Because uh, targeted advertising is good in finding the people who are already kind of engaged in the process. But if you're looking to capture the passive voter who's not thinking about the election at all until the day before, if they remember it, Like, a TV ad's probably your best bet for that. So, I mean, that's not going to go away. But you're going to see more and more kind of ingrained specific targeting. And you're already seeing that on TV. People who have, um, like, digital cable packages, uh, campaigns are able to start purchasing at this point. You know, we only want to send ads to this congressional district. We don't want to waste money blasting it out across the whole, you know, TV station radius.
0: Right. And um, I'm curious. So how conscious do you think the average person the average voter is of this like i know i personally like i looked into this a little bit before we did our interview but i'd say usually i'm kind of ignorant about where all this information is going and what extent it's being used um you know what what do people know i think people
1: are typically really freaked out when they when they learn about this and even like i've learned a lot covering this for for the past six months and i'll all have moments where I go, oh my god, I don't, I don't ever want to do this again. And then, like, I kind of forget about it and just do it later. You know, um, I took an Uber over here. Uber knows exactly where I was, exactly where I was going. Um, I can, I can list ten more things on my phone that I've used in the past day that that could give you a pretty accurate picture of where I'm going day in day out. And I think campaigns are are a couple steps behind what some of these companies are already doing with that information. Like, I don't think uh, anytime soon presidential campaigns are going to try and, like, target people who go to this bar in Uber rides. But um, I think a lot of people are worried about that, but I think it's just a fact of life at this point. Like, we leave very noticeable trails about ourselves and our habits, and that's something that campaigns are very interested in.
0: Then, I actually, I also wanted to ask you, and we did get into this a little bit, but, you know, 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line, um, maybe presidential campaigns will catch up and, you know, we'll kind of figure out how to utilize this information that they can have. Uh, What do you think it'll look like then?
1: I mean, I think the big picture of it, like the goal always stays the same, but the means has changed so much, you know, from, from decade to decade. Like, one thing... I didn't do a story about this, but I wanted to just thinking about how much the world of campaigning has changed from when Bill Clinton ran for president to when Hillary Clinton ran for president. And it's just an entirely different universe. I mean, the way when a campaign wanted to get a, a press release out, it would send out faxes, you know, and um, let me th- put it this way. I'd say like 95 percent of my political reporting takes place on email, takes place in text messages, you uh, takes place watching Twitter feeds, um, following what campaigns are doing online, none of that existed when Bill Clinton was running for president. And that's just the way that you run campaigns when Hillary Clinton is running for president. And that's really not that long of a, of a period in the grand scheme of things, you know, from 1992 to 2016. So I think I think it's hard to say what the world will look like 16 years from now, but I think it'll be incredibly targeted and i think you ask what 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 younger people think about this i think the world kind of expects more and more tailorization more and more things on demand and you have to assume that that politics will will follow that as well so that it's not even like you know white women in suburban new york city it's like you specifically here's what you're interested in and here's uh and here's my stance on that which when you push back when you talk to campaigns who are deep into data stuff and you say isn't this creepy they say, well, wait a second. Don't people want specific answers from politicians? All this information helps us give them specific answers. You're welcome, voter. You know, and I'm not sure. Uh, and th- this was uh, what the Cruz campaign and, and the company that does this uh, behavioral targeting was saying. I'm not sure I buy that. But I do kind of see the point that, yeah, if if somebody can tell me something that's very specific to my life, maybe that's helpful in deciding how to vote. But I'm not sure I want that from, like, my web browsing history, you know? Cool.
0: And it also sounds like, I mean, these candidates are now trying to target their message and tailor their message to, like, you know, young white voters, old white voters, white voters who live in the, I don't know, the West. It almost sounds like this is going to make campaigns and messages in general less genuine.
1: And that's the flip side of this, because um, no matter where you campaign, what you say is instantaneously accessible to anybody who's interested in it. You know, I, I don't even have to... It's good to leave the newsroom and report from the campaign trail, but I could sit at my desk and get in some sort of passive feed basically everything that's happening on the campaign trail every single day. So when you're tailoring your message from place to place to place, maybe that helps you play on the local level and be more specific. But everybody can see what you're doing. There's a record of what you're doing, and your opponents can can send that out right away as well. So I think that also kind of, in a way, standardizes the campaign because it's one national campaign in a way that it wasn't before.
0: Right. And that actually makes me think. I mean, you mentioned that it's very different campaigning now than when Bill Clinton was running for president. Bill Clinton just got into a bunch of trouble with Black Lives Matter protesters because he was not willing to kind of bend to their message or to, I essentially, like— say that he was wrong for doing something while he was president. Um, Do you think that politicians are going to start running into that more and more?
1: I think so. And um, this time around, you saw Bill Clinton be much more strategically deployed than in 2008. And in 2008, he got into confrontations like that all the time, and it was kind of clear that he didn't fully realize that when he was having these rope line conversations, people were, were uh, recording it and posting it on YouTube an hour later and like there it was on the internet and now like going back home and posting it on YouTube seems almost antiquated like people can Facebook live it people can can stream it live you know like everybody can see what you're doing at all times and I think that also leads to a much more controlled moment like covering the campaign and interacting with, with candidates you never have that kind of like off the record getting to know phase that that you would have had in early in most campaigns because it's national from the moment they enter the race. There's there's more people there, and everything is being recorded and, and streamed at once.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it almost seems like politicians are going to have to be a lot more careful now. Like, when I think back, obviously, I was not really politically conscious at this point, but when Bill Clinton was president, he got away with a lot that I think Hillary Clinton could never get away with were she to become president, you know, this coming year. Um, would you say that, like, I mean, what... Can you think of anything that Bill Clinton like did as president that just would not fly right now?
1: Well, I think uh, that's part of the primary process, just in terms of policies that he passed <laughs> that now um, younger Democrats are saying, "Wait, why did you do that?" Um, let's talk about the Defense of Marriage Act. You know, uh, I think that's more on a policy level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's weird because at on one hand, politicians have to be on and in like on stage mode at all times. But on the other hand, they're trying to create these authentic moments. They're trying to package these authentic moments for their Snapchat feeds or whatever. And I think that – I don't think you can do both of those at the same time well, as we found out.
0: And that's where we get Hillary Clinton telling us that she's chilling on Snapchat. Or like
1: Jeb Bush doing vines of his Uber rides, and it's just like, okay, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, Jeb. And this actually makes me think of something that I should have asked before. Um, I mentioned politicians having to be careful Uh, One (laughs) example of a politician who I would say is not being careful is Donald Trump, Uh, and yet he's been wildly successful in that. Um, How do we reconcile that?
1: One thing that the voters who are are attracted to Trump like is his authenticity. Um, I think you can argue a lot of things he's done have been very calculated and, and done for a specific reason, but I think it helps him out when every other politician is acting like a normal politician would in a normal election and being very careful and being very calculating and choosing their words carefully that creates a huge contrast to when he goes out and just kind of says whatever's at the top of his head and you know it's clear that there are millions of voters who are who have supported him who feel fed up with the process and i think um they view kind of the the way that everyone is so calculated as being part of the political process that they disdain so much so when donald trump goes out and like talks about his penis um that's something that i think a lot of voters say like wow that's genuine he's he's being a real person as opposed to these other people i i, I think the best example of that is um that series of debates where basically everybody threw everything they had to trump and in the end they were asked what well, would you support with these nominee and then they said yeah we would you know i think like that created kind of like this is the very cautious scripted politician compared to what this other guy is doing
0: All right. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the questions I had for you. Is there anything you want to add? You know, anything that's important to note at the end of this? Yeah, I think
1: one thing that that all this stuff has done is really speed up the process, like going back to the way that campaigns push things out during debates. Like now, basically, um, for a while, you'd have the debate, then you'd have the spin room afterwards where all the reporters go and you have the candidates and the staffers trying to say, this is what happened. And now the spin room basically happens online as the debates are taking place. And, and the actual spin room is kind of like this antiquated thing that doesn't really play a role in the storylines. Because, you know, um, if, if the other campaign has a gaffe or something like that, you're pushing out your response to that on all platforms instantaneously. And, like, even the email that comes into the reporter's inbox feels like it's kind of after the fact. So I think what this has just done is speed things up and will continue to speed things up.
0: I want to thank my guest, Scott Detrow, who again is a politics reporter for NPR specializing in tech's role in campaigns. You can friend Fordham Conversations on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. You can also catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Katie Meyer.